Buffalo Wild Wings has specials on food from 3 to 6, Monday through Friday, and great deals on drinks all day. It's the perfect way to offset a long day. Text that hilarious joke about your boss to your boss. What? No, no. Try a $3 Wild Herd by Goose Island. Set your morning alarm for 6 p.m. That calls for $5 strawberry margaritas. So if you ask your phone why you're still single and... Ha, ha, ha. Seriously? Head to Buffalo Wild Wings. At participating locations, taxes and fees apply. Dine-in only. Drink responsibly. Offers vary by location. Void where prohibited. When you need milk for Zoe and a cold brew for yourself, Kroger Delivery will get you just what you need in as little as 30 minutes. Open the Kroger app and start your cart. Whatever the cart. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Delivery time's not guaranteed. Restrictions may apply. See site for details. When you're a Boost member, you get free delivery, double fuel points, and lots more. Sign up at Kroger.com boost. to another episode of This Week in History with me, your host, Dan the Viking. Welcome back. It has been a long couple of weeks uh, without an episode, so I do apologise for that. I have been on holiday, so unfortunately, uh, up in Scotland, there was nowhere for me to bring a laptop and connect it to Wi-Fi, and uh, therefore I haven't been able to do an episode. So I I have been away, for those of you who are on my Patreon you will have seen some of the pictures that we uploaded from um, Dunyore Castle, which was uh, a couple of miles outside of where we were staying. So, the reason for this episode, which some of you may have cottoned on to on the Facebook group, some people did actually get the wrong ones, so unlucky for you guys. Um, some did say Queen Mary. Now, technically, that is correct. Um, but the answer I was looking for was a little bit more specific. I was actually looking for Mary, Queen of Scots. So for everyone who did put Queen Mary, I'll give you half a point. Not not the full point. I wanted Mary, Queen of Scots. The reason for that is I thought I'd do a little bit of a, an honour to the country that I've just visited um, and do a little bit of Scottish history. Um, for those of you outside of the UK <clears throat> you may actually think that Scottish history and English history is in sort of the same same era or same same type of history well it, it, it is to an extent so for example if you looked at the royal family after Mary Queen of Scots they would incorporate both they would pretty much incorporate um, England and Scotland's and that we'll get into towards the end and that is to do with Mary's son James who became James the first of England and James the sixth of Scotland so there is you know after that effect um, Scotland was sort of brought into England and they they pretty much became the United Kingdom as we know it although it wasn't technically called the United Kingdom from the start but that does give you a little bit of uh, a bit of an overview as to this period in time specifically we are talking about Scottish history and Scotland as its own entity now Mary Queen of Scots she was actually born Mary Stuart and she was Mary the first of Scotland so she actually reigned in Scotland uh, from the 14th of December 1542 she was crowned Queen of Scotland and she actually abdicated the throne on the 24th of July 1567 and she died on the 8th of February 1587 so it was a bit of a strange one she actually died 20 years after she left the throne and for those of you who have sort of gone well hang on a minute she was born in 1542 you're absolutely right she was born on the 8th of December 1542 and was crowned on the 14th of December 1542 so she was actually the youngest monarch in history she was six days old when her father died now her father died at a very young age he uh, he did actually have 
uh, two sons prior to Mary. So Mary was the third in line to the throne, but unfortunately they died um, at a young age as well, which left Mary the only successor to the throne. Now, this was a very strange time, as neither England nor Scotland had ever had a queen before. So at the time of Mary's coronation, England had possibly the most famous king in history, and that was King Henry VIII. Now, only a few years after that, in 1547, when Henry VIII died, the next king of England would be Edward VI, which is Henry's son. Now, there was a pact made between the royal uh, the royal advisers in Scotland at this time to marry Mary I to Henry VI. Sorry, Edward VI. And the reason for this was to unite the two countries together and to try and build a stability that would last the ages. And the reason for that was there was a lot of wars prior to this between England and Scotland. Uh, A lot of Scottish independence. Scotland wanted to be their own entity without England getting involved. And England wanted, wanted Scotland. There was no real... Uh, it was more the fact that obviously when you look at the UK and you look at England as a whole you know at the time England was in control of of England Wales and Ireland not just Northern Ireland Scotland was this own little country to the north that when you looked at a map almost looked like the rebels they looked like the the people that wouldn't knuckle under the thumb of the English rule um and for someone like Henry VIII, who was quite a powerful, formidable king, he he wasn't happy with that, and he wanted Scotland to be under his control, and, you know, the way of doing that was, was by war, because obviously, you know, you can't just take over a country by diplomacy, they, there was a lot of, a lot of battles between England and Scotland, and the way of marrying these two royals or these two monarchs at the time was possibly just a way of trying to settle those problems and also you know the English jumped at this chance because really a king overrules a queen so the way the English would have seen it was yes Mary can marry can marry Edward but then obviously Edward is then in control because, you know, a king takes hierarchy, let's say. Now, at this time, the noble families in Scotland were um, Protestant. Now, this causes a few problems through sort of English and Scottish history, is the Protestant-Catholic debate. And really, it still goes on today. So, England under Henry VIII was a Protestant country. Scotland under James V was a Catholic country. Mary was a Catholic, but a lot of the nobles, because obviously the families shared different lines, were Protestant. James V allowed this. Henry VIII allowed it to an extent if they were Catholic. Then you had, in England, you had uh, Edward, who was Church of England was Protestant. He sort of allowed some of the Catholics to, you know, to survive and to to carry on. Then you had in England, you had Bloody Mary, uh, Mary the First of England, who was a devout Catholic. And the reason she was known as Bloody Mary was because anybody who was Protestant, she murdered. Um, and then her successor was Elizabeth the First, who we did cover in I think one of my first episodes who again was Protestant. In Scotland, the monarch was Catholic. However, the monarch was a baby. So all the people in Scotland at the time, you know, they they weren't ruled by the Queen. It was a very scary time because when you've got Protestant rulers and a Catholic in charge, but the Catholic is a baby or a, a young toddler there's not really she's not safe and she really wasn't safe in Scotland and her mother took the decision 
to move her to France. Her mother was from France, so she took the decision to move her to France in 1548. Now, she actually grew up, and she was due to marry the Prince of France. So, basically, the Scottish snubbed Edward, and they turned around and said, you know, you know, she's not safe in Scotland. She's going to live in France, and obviously the French weren't just going to take her. But the French didn't like the English, so this was a way of getting under the English skin. And Mary went to France. Uh, so she was there from when she was six years old, and it, ten years after that, so she was sixteen, and she actually married the French Prince Francis. And you know, she'd grown up with him. She'd been with him for ten years. And she ended up marrying him. So, at this time, you know, she's had quite a traumatic childhood. Although she's probably not really realised how traumatic it is, she has had quite a strange childhood. And, you know, she's now living in France. She's married to the French prince. She's probably doing all right. And she's still Queen of Scotland. So she's not in Scotland. She's not been there since, you know, since 1548. She's been there for 10 years. She's not even been in Scotland. And yet, you know, Scotland's just being ruled by the Protestant um, nobles at the time. So Scotland really is in a bit of turmoil. And again, this was a chance for the English. There were many battles between 1548 and 1558 in Scotland where, you know, the English tried to take advantage of the fact that Scotland was not under under one ruler. It was being ruled by a court. Now, just two years after Mary's marriage to Francis, uh, her mother, uh, Mary of Guise, actually dies. And Scotland is now officially a Protestant country. So Mary of Guise was actually Catholic as well. Obviously, she's in Scotland keeping the peace. She's, again, she's allowing the Protestants to rule because, you know, if she hadn't, then there's not much that could have been done about it. She, You know, she's one woman and she wasn't even blood to the country. So she couldn't really stop them ruling but she allowed it to go along as long as she was sat in the palace uh, Scotland was still a Catholic country obviously when she dies that changes Mary's not in the country there's no monarch in the country that is Catholic the rulers of the country are Protestant the country changes to Protestant that was that was it um, one year later in uh, 1561 Mary makes a decision to return back to Scotland and to re-cement her throne not reclaim because she's always had the throne but to re-cement herself as Queen of Scotland um, and the one thing that makes it a lot easier for Mary to return to Scotland is, is Francis actually dies the year before as well so not only does she lose her mother in 1560 she also loses her husband so she's not really she's not safe in France so she has to move back and when she moves back like I said she does take back her throne and she does you know return Scotland to the Catholic heritage that that it had prior to to her leaving Um, there was a little bit of turmoil in Scotland for about a three or four year period and this is to do with the fact that she is now unmarried with no heir and you know it's it's a weird way of looking at it because obviously nowadays I don't think people people really care as much but back then it was you know if especially a queen to not have um, a male husband some male husband obviously it's going to be a male husband but um not to have a husband or an heir she's seen as quite a weak queen and this is in contrast with Elizabeth I, who is, well, you know, obviously we have covered Elizabeth I, but Elizabeth I never married, never had a child, and was probably the most formidable queen ever. So she is the exception to the rule, but in this time, Scotland wanted stability, 
and the only way to get stability was for her to marry and to have an heir which meant that the throne the bloodline could carry on so in 1565 she marries her cousin uh, a man named Lord Darnley now he was not popular um, people didn't like him there were questions as to whether he was the right person for her she could have married a lot higher up the spectrum than Lord Darnley but you know she actually married for love almost uh, and not for not for anything else and that's something that doesn't really happen in royal society a lot of a lot of the time they marry because it's the within the best interest of the country and I think she said no I'm I love this man and I'm going to marry this man so there was a you know almost people didn't think he was worthy of her um but she does have a child with him and that is James who will then later become James VI of Scotland and that's in 1566 so they didn't waste any time having an heir but a year later Darnley is actually murdered now again this is where there's a little bit of controversy no one really knows what happens to him but he is found naked in the middle of a garden so uh, well they thought it was an explosion and that's what the theory goes but yet he was found in the middle of a garden naked with grip marks and bruises around his neck so suggests that he was actually strangled and not blown up obviously so it's a bit of a strange one um you know he's he's murdered very early in the year and people don't really know what's going on in Scotland now Mary actually becomes very close to a man named Earl Bothwell um now Bothwell was actually the prime suspect in the murder so people thought he was the one who did it there was a lot of evidence to suggest that he'd done it but he became very close with Mary and in May of the, that year she actually marries Earl Bothwell so it's um you know a bit of a strange thing you know Elizabeth Queen Elizabeth at this time um, actually writes to Mary saying basically you're mad what are you doing why are you doing this you shouldn't be marrying this man he's clearly dangerous and this is where Mary has this feeling that Elizabeth is is quite friendly to her this is Queen Elizabeth is obviously Queen of England in 1567 and they have exchanged a few letters prior to this um and what's happening at the moment is in Scotland there is a rebellion that is going on and Mary is not equipped to deal with this rebellion and Mary has obviously now married the man who is the prime suspect in the murder of her previous husband and this is pretty much what sparks the rebellion in Scotland so there is a lot of turmoil that she's trying to deal with and the only one who is constant at this time is Queen Elizabeth I there are many many letters exchanged between the two of them and some of these letters do actually survive in the Royal Archives in London there are still some evidence of these letters um, Mary is actually um, taken into I would say arrested but she's not arrested but she is found by a group of these rebels and she's told to abdicate the throne she's basically told sign the throne over to James and leave and that's and you'll live so she's not arrested they don't arrest her but they do basically say if you don't sign these papers and abdicate the throne right here right now then you will be murdered now that's what she does she abdicates the throne in July 1567 and she gives the throne to her son now she then thinks well I can't go to France because it's a hard journey it's a long way round I'm not safe in Scotland 
my son's in control of the country although he's you know he's two years old but he's in he's in control of the country he's nobles who have obviously taken back now you know they've taken back the country from mary um, and a lot of this has to do with again this protestant catholic debate that's going on you know mary was catholic james again was a baby or, or ch- a young child at this time a lot easier to manipulate um the one man that stood in their way obviously which was lord darnley has now been murdered earl bothwell is a protestant who has now come into the frame as mary's husband and you know there's a lot of things you can see exactly where as a lord a protestant lord where you would go with this you know mary not very easy to control um you know she's a bit of a hard hardball bit of a bit of a weirdo bit of a strange type of queen essentially she was a bit of a slag you know she went from man to man to man very very quickly um and she was known as that you know she was actually known as a bit of a tart so you know that's not me just saying it that is history speaks for itself um but you know she was not she was not the queen that they wanted they wanted someone they could control and james although was born and baptized a catholic was actually raised protestant after that so once mary fled uh fled scotland james was then raised as as a protestant so in 1568 so the year later mary actually flees to england where she thinks she will be safe with her cousin elizabeth the first well she is not safe with elizabeth the first she is immediately imprisoned and placed in chains (laughs) no she's not she is placed in the tower of london she's not actually put in chains she's given quite a a nice imprisonment to an extent so she is prisoned in the sense that she is allowed sort of if you can remember back to the war of the roses episode and we talked about how henry was imprisoned henry the sixth was imprisoned and you know although he was in prison he was you know given some luxuries he was allowed visitations he had you know food and wine and things like that this was a very similar situation for mary elizabeth at the start in prison was imprisoned because elizabeth believed that it was safer to imprison mary than it was to just allow her to live in england so at the start of this and the start of the whole turmoil it is believed that elizabeth believed she was doing the right thing in the sense that she was keeping mary safe rather than allowing her just to live in england where she probably wasn't safe you know at the time england was a protestant country and mary was catholic so would she be safe out on the streets maybe maybe not we don't know so elizabeth you know made that decision to imprison her now the problem is is this is one monarch imprisoning another monarch something that's never ever happened throughout history so this was a situation that elizabeth found herself in quite um quite a scary situation because only nine years previous to this uh, england was a catholic country and a lot of the catholics in england believed that mary was their savior mary had come down to england to save england from this rebellious protestant queen who had you know taken the throne even though her birthright was the throne a lot of the catholics believed that because she was not catholic because elizabeth wasn't catholic she wasn't the right queen for the throne you know they believed that you know it's a it's a hard way of putting it but with catholics and for those of you who aren't catholic the catholic religion is dedicated to the pope now what that means is that the pope is higher than everybody on earth 
the Pope is God's representative on earth. Now, a monarch is not God's representative on earth. A monarch is in charge of a country. So the monarch can only answer to the Pope and to God. The problem with this is Protestants remove the Pope from the equation and they say, well, the only person I answer to is God. Now, although that makes sense to anybody who is Protestant, it doesn't make sense to a Catholic. So this is where the turmoil starts. And for anyone in England who nine years previous was solid Catholic and watched a queen rampage through the country murdering anybody who wasn't a Catholic when she dies her sister then takes over who is Protestant and the whole thing starts again you know the whole religion gets changed again now all of a sudden this monarch from Scotland who is related to our queen you know they are cousins um, comes down a lot of the Catholics sort of go well you know maybe she's come down to save us maybe she's come down to take the throne off Elizabeth and to actually restore England to a Catholic country I mean not only that Mary Mary had a lot going for her she was she was famously beautiful um, very very attractive woman um, she was very tall uh, she was I think most reports say she was around six foot um, she had you know, golden red hair, so very Scottish looking. Um, she'd lived in France, so she was brought up in very, very French manners, um, you know, and which is strange for an Englishman because we're, we're taught that the French don't have manners, but um, that's a little joke. I don't actually believe that. Um, but, you know, the French, the what is known as the bourgeoisie, the upper class French they are very very well educated they are very well mannered they speak very politely very eloquently um, she was very well educated as well like I said um, she actually learnt to speak Latin Greek, Italian, Spanish and obviously French so she was extremely well educated, she had a huge passion for music um, she played uh, instruments as well she she played uh, an instrument called the lute um you know she was extremely popular she was and and this again it it causes problems because for anybody who looks at pictures of elizabeth i you will notice she was not the most attractive woman in the world and it is conceivable to believe that one of the reasons Elizabeth saw such a negative view of Mary could be to do with sort of self-image and self-problems that she had looking at this beautiful long-haired long-legged queen who was married three times and here she is queen of England with no husband no heir no you know not not the best looking woman in the world it, you know it's not impossible to believe that something like that could have played heavily on Elizabeth's mind as well as the other doubts that she's clearly having to do with the faith now Mary like I said was in prison she was actually imprisoned in a few different castles so when she fled England she actually went to Carlisle Castle now Carlisle is in the north of England and she was taken to Carlisle Castle and she was like I said she was at first she was put under protection now one of the reasons she fled was she actually was um, part of a battle in Scotland which was the Battle of Langside where she lost um, she lost to uh, another family member and that was one of the reasons why she had to flee um, basically this was the last time that Carlisle Castle was ever used it wasn't a royal prison but it was used as a royal prison in this time but obviously it's not what it was used for and a general thing um, and like I said she was allowed a lot of freedom she was allowed to walk around the castle grounds um, she had with her her entourage which was uh, a collection of friends they were, they were known as the four Marys um, she had four friends called Mary um, and they were her best friends really 
Uh, they were called Mary Seaton, Mary Beaton, Mary Fleming, and Mary Livingston, and they pretty much went everywhere with with Queen Mary. Um, they were with her in France when she was growing up. They they moved to France with her. They were with her in Scotland when she moved back, and they were with her when she was arrested in England. So, you know, they did. They had a, a massive part to play in history. Um, you know, it's not there's not a huge amount. That I I can go into detail on it. You know, if anyone's interested, um, you're better off looking up yourself. There's not a huge amount of information on them for because obviously Mary Queen of Scots was such a huge figure. She did sort of steal the limelight a bit with that. So, like I said, she was imprisoned in Carlisle Castle, sort of under more of a house arrest rather than a prison. She then moved to Bolton Castle. Bolton, it's a little bit further south of Carlisle. Uh, quite a bit further south actually but um it's in north yorkshire um well the castles in north Lo- in north yorkshire anyway um so she was heading south and this is obviously closer to london um you know she's on her way down to see <laughs> to see the queen um and obviously fearing this must have been you know a bit of fear in her knowing that she was you know traveling closer to to mary uh, sorry to elizabeth um and you got to remember at this time you know she she was actually imprisoned in a, for a total of 19 years so you know she didn't spend much time outside of being in prison and uh, as time went on you know the she was moving further and further south she was obviously believing that this was uh, this was getting worse and worse for her. You know, at the start, I think it was a bit of a oh, thank God I'm safe. Um, and then a few months in, why am I still in prison? Why am I not being allowed free? Um, and you know, Queen Elizabeth and Queen Mary they never actually met in person. So, you know, there was a lot of you know, although she probably read what she could out of the letters there was no proof that elizabeth was an ally she was just reading that from the letter she believed that elizabeth was her ally and you know there was no there was no real evidence for this you know she she didn't really have that that proof you know and and as time went on and she spent longer and longer in prison i think this probably you know made made her realize that Elizabeth wasn't actually her friend and uh she probably was going to meet meet the end at some point um so from Bolton Castle she then moved to Tutbury Castle which is in Staffordshire um which was probably the worst one that she went to um you know she arrived in Feb uh, in January of uh, 1569 um February was a very long cold winter um and you know she was not allowed to do as much when she went here and this was quite an inhospitable and unpleasant prison for her to live in um the building that she was put into was under disrepair it wasn't very well looked after um and obviously you know again she's moving further south um, Tutbury Castle, like I said, is in Staffordshire. Staffordshire is further south than Yorkshire. So she, again, she's moving closer to London. Um, after that, uh, she went to Sheffield Castle, which again is is closer to London, um, which was at the time a 300-year-old medieval castle. So it's a very, very old castle. Um, it was damaged during the Civil War in, in the late 1640s. So again, not a very pleasant castle not a very well looked after castle when you're sort of realizing that the more she is spending in in the worse castles the the worser looked after castles the less care is being given to her you know she, at first she comes down she's looked after a little bit she's put up in a nice suite in a castle she's allowed to walk around the castle grounds then she's moved down a bit you know to a a slightly worse castle then she's moved to a a castle that's falling apart basically and then she's moved to another castle that's falling apart and she's really losing 
um, a lot of her support, um, you know, and a lot of her freedom is is going at this time. And you know, it's said that during this time, um, she actually came. She she got a letter from her son, um, you know, James the the sixth of Scotland. Um, she basically said that you know he sorry he basically said that um he didn't want anything to do with her and he wasn't going to help her and i think this was sort of the final nail in her coffin and this is where she's realized now she's in prison she's not getting out and the one man who could help her is her son who is not willing to help her you know you've got to remember her son doesn't know her you know just because he's her son he's not been brought up by her she's fled to england um and you know towards the end of her time she was moved to fotheringay castle um which again is is slightly closer um slightly closer to in, uh, to england sorry um to london so she again she's moving closer and closer to london this was um in september 1586 now this uh this is where you know she she became the center point for queen elizabeth's reasoning to have her executed so basically mary mary's time in england was was miserable um she was a pretty much a, a prisoner the whole time um she was just moved from castle to castle um, she was considered quite a big threat to Queen Elizabeth's throne, and like I said, she was captive for nineteen years. You know, this woman, she fled a country that was trying to kill her, and ended up, you know, jumping straight back into the fire. Um, Elizabeth wanted rid of Mary; she didn't want her around, um, but she couldn't, she couldn't execute her without any reason. You know, you've got to remember, um, Mary was an anointed monarch. She was still, although she wasn't Queen of Scotland, she was still a queen. Um, and you can't just murder a queen. You know, she had to have legitimate reason for this. Um, and she wanted some proof. Now, in 1585, Mary was actually suspected of being involved with a man named Anthony Babington. Um, now, Anthony Babington was planning to kill Elizabeth so that Mary could become Queen of England. Now, these are what was known as the, the Babington uh, scandal or the Babington plot. And it is quite a famous plot. So, you know, it was basically a plot to take out Elizabeth and with the help of the Scottish army and the Catholics in Scotland... Um, and with the help of the Catholics in England to dethrone Queen Elizabeth and to put Mary on the throne of England. And the reason for that, like I said, is only nine years prior to this, England was a Catholic country. It still had deep roots in Catholicism and it still had a lot of followers who drunk secret toasts and wanted Mary back on their throne and and all of this, Elizabeth knew all of this. You know, none of this was hidden. She knew exactly where Mary was, the danger Mary, you know, gave to her throne. And with uh, this uncovering of the plot, it, um, you know, it, it came to to blows, and there was nothing really Mary could do about it. You know, she was implicated in the plot she was implicated by um a few men who basically gave her up and the reason they gave her up was because they were tortured to give her up so although medieval torture you know it does make it, it seems to get a lot of answers a lot of history will tell you that people gave names during torture and they implicated other co-conspirators during torture torture is was used then to get people to tell their truth not the actual truth so 
you know these men were probably tortured by saying you know a lit you know mary mary had something to do with this didn't she and then tortured and then mary had something to do with this mary had some, and the constant repetition of if you don't implicate queen mary then this is just going to carry on and on and on and on so how valuable the testimony is is subject to debate there's no real evidence to suggest that mary was part of these you know these things there are letters that mary had wrote to babington potentially you can read them as you know it's hard you can you can read them that she is definitely involved and you can read it and go yep 100% I can see that and then you can read it that she was a sympathiser and you know possibly wasn't actually involved in the plot itself however when these men are tortured and they give her up and say yeah it was her idea yes she was a big part of it there was no going back for Elizabeth and in October 1586 uh, Mary was sent to be tried at Fotheringay Castle which is in Northamptonshire like I said slightly closer to London um, by 46 English lords um, well lords bishop and earls um, and she was not permitted a legal counsel so she was not allowed to have anyone at her side it was her against 46 lords um, she was not permitted to review the evidence and she was not allowed to call a witness so it was a it was a comedy court really she was put there in front of 46 people she wasn't allowed to defend herself really she wasn't allowed to call any witnesses um, portions of the letters were read during the trial but not the full letters so you've got to remember you know they're not going to read the whole letter they're going to read the one sentence on the letter that could potentially be taken either way and you know she was she she was she was dead from that she was convicted there and then um of treason against england there was one english lord who voted not guilty um but unfortunately that's not a hung jury she was um she was sentenced to death and her death warrant was signed by Queen Elizabeth, the woman who had never actually met Mary Queen of Scots. And on February the eighth, uh, fifteen eighty-seven, she was beheaded in front of a, a crowd of three hundred people. Um, and it's said that when she actually turned up to her own execution, um, she turned up in a black robe, which was traditional. Um, and she stood there in front of everyone and she took off her black robe and underneath it was a red robe um now it wasn't bright red it was like a, a brownie red red color like a maroon um but it's to signal that she was a bit of a martyr um and you know she played the act right up until the death you know there, there's evidence that suggests that when she actually died um, she went on her knees obviously to the block and put both her arms out like an angel like wings um so you know she made a she made a, a spectacle of of her own death and you know th there's also there's many stories there's stories that say when she was actually executed um the first the first swing missed or wasn't the wasn't a killing blow so he actually normally with these they, they'd sharpen the blade and they would take the head straight off um you know he hit the neck but he he didn't it didn't go in far enough it didn't do anything she was still alive and bleeding and he then had to re-hit maybe two or three times so you know it was a, a brutal way to go um and you know especially for elizabeth you know she was the first queen ever to execute another queen um she was the first royal monarch to actually of england to sign a death warrant an execution warrant for another royal so although you know it's happened in the past where 
you know English kings have have executed English kings. It's never happened where they've executed a monarch from another country. So Mary never became queen of England. She never got that ability. Um, and you know she died not really fulfilling her her dreams and her prophecies. You know she she wanted to become. Uh, Queen of England she never became Queen of England um, and you know her she's sort of been left to the history books really as a, a bit of a martyr a bit of a you know a Catholic martyr and quite a I think quite a very interesting character throughout history you know she spent 19 years in prison and then was convicted of treason with very little evidence um, she wasn't allowed to defend herself her death was signed by a queen who she believed was her ally a queen who she'd never met quite a a turmoil time her son didn't want anything to do with her she had very a very troubled past and history but that, I suppose that's what makes her such an interesting character and you know, she did get a wish in the end. You know, Elizabeth I, she had no children. And that meant that Mary's son, James the Sixth of Scotland, actually became James the First of England. Um, because he was the next in line after Elizabeth, blood-wise. So, you know, she was... She was quite... She got a wish in the end. And, and the Stuart line is, uh, like I said, it's still it's still present today in the royal family that is there now so when we talk about the Tudors and the Stuarts obviously they had a bloodline but that that bloodline still exists now with our royal family today so it is quite important and and James did get a little bit of um a little bit back for his mum um she was buried at um Peterborough Cathedral and he had a removed from Peterborough Peterborough Cathedral um, and moved to Westminster Abbey, which is where all of our um, our monarchs are are buried. So, you know, he did make sure that she she was um, well looked after after her death, I suppose. Um, but yeah, that's the the story of of Mary Queen of Scots. So, like I said, quite an interesting story, quite an interesting character. Um, very very fun to learn about uh, someone that's. Uh, possibly not on your history books that often um so yeah let me know what you thought of this episode um i do want to have a little shout out just quickly we had a post that was put on itunes um which i have copied and pasted and put into our facebook group um i'm absolutely overwhelmed by the amount of support you guys have put in that group um thank you so much um, I didn't believe what this person was right I couldn't actually believe it when I read it um, and seems like everyone else uh, agrees with me that this person's a bit of an idiot so um, still don't know who it is still have not a clue nobody from my family has come forward to admit that they were the one um, I doubt very much they will if you aren't, if you don't know what we're talking about um, get on the Facebook group, give it a read and uh, put your own comment through I'm not bothered have it, give it a go um, so yeah uh, it's a bit strange uh, I do want to say thank you to the new Patreon members that we have so welcome to my Patreon Amanda and Bill thank you for joining I uh, hope you're enjoying my pictures from Scotland and you're enjoying my episodes that have been going on there the part four, if you are interested, for The War of the Roses shall be going up later this weekend. And, you know, I do hope you guys are enjoying that. And for those of you who are interested in that, get yourselves over to Patreon. Just type it in This Week in History. It brings us up. There are only three episodes on there at the moment. But like I said, episode four will be going up this week. Um, going forwards, there should be some more coming out very, very soon. I do have a special episode coming out. Um, in the next few weeks which providing I can find the time with my father will be getting my dad back on a show um, to cover possibly one of the biggest uh, events in English history and that is the Battle of Trafalgar in 1805 so 
again another one of my dad's passions something that he's very very clued up on um something i know quite a bit about but i'm pretty sure i'm going to be outwitted again um so if you're looking forward to that one keep your ears ready that'll be the battle of trafalgar coming very soon um yeah so hopes uh hope everyone's enjoying it get like i said get yourselves on facebook give us an email uh, anything like that and if you can if you do find time to leave us a review on itunes please do um leave us your name at the bottom so i can give you a shout out i don't particularly want to be shouting out people people's comments if i don't know who you are it's nice to know who you guys are and where my support comes from so let me know thank you very much and thanks for listening just remember guys we all have history make yours great bye-bye welcome to america the land of junk sleep where it's bedtime but you're double booked here there's always one more deadline to meet episode to watch or meme to share the world may not want you to sleep but we do only the sleep experts at mattress firm can help you find the right bed at the right price unjunk your sleep in store or online at mattressfirm.com today in the heat of the moment you're not just keeping it calm you're keeping it cool too with an ice cold cold brew and not just any cold brew but one that's slow steeped and mixed with brown sugar and molasses flavor with a cold foam infused with brown sugar coolness and a cinnamon sugar sprinkle on top that's keeping it calm cool and cold brewed with duncan's new brown sugar cream cold brew america runs on duncan Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Terms apply. At Progressive, you can get 24-7 protection, even if you break the space-time continuum. We did it. We time-traveled to yesterday. Wait, Progressive covers us 24-7, but we just created an eight-day week, and it's 24-7 coverage, not 24-8. We gotta go back. Are you joking right now? Shh, I'm calling them. Hi, I have a question about time travel. Progressive offers more than a great price when you bundle home and auto. We offer round-the-clock protection, which literally means anytime. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers and subject to policy terms. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. Finding the right person for the job isn't easy. Just ask someone who hired a drama coach to be an IT guy. Yeah, I'm having trouble logging in. I'm not buying it. Say it again. This time with feeling. I can't log in? Come on, man. I want to feel your struggle. But if you've got an insurance question, you can always count on your local GEICO agent. They can bundle your policies, which could save you hundreds. Now, like your life depends on it. I can't log in. Yes, we'll make an actor out of you yet. For expert help with all your insurance needs, visit geico.com slash local today.